0: Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zivvy. I'm the host, Zivvy Owens. I am an author. My latest is blank, pub date March 1st, a novel. I'm also a podcaster, obviously, a publisher, a bookstore owner, and so much more. If you love books, you're in the right place. In fact, we call it the Zivvyverse, or really, the LA Times called it the Zivvyverse, and we're going with it. Go to zivvyowens.com to learn more and follow me on Instagram at zivvyowens.com. Ute Blackstock is the author of Legacy, a black physician reckons with racism in medicine. Dr. Ute Blackstock is a physician and thought leader on bias and racism in healthcare. She appears on air regularly as an MSNBC medical contributor and is the founder and CEO of Advancing Health Equity, as well as a former associate professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine and Legacies from Harvard Medical School. Dr. Blackstock currently lives in her hometown of Brooklyn, New York, with her two small children. Welcome, Uche. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's Narrative Time to read books to discuss legacy. A Black physician reckons with racism in medicine.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Siddhi. I really
0: loved your story and your personal story and your really like this love letter to your mom and the legacy that she left and your relationship with her and how she sort of informed the lives of you and your sister. And I don't know, it was such a it was such a wonderful sort of even framing device of a book to have your mom there. So maybe just tell listeners a little bit yeah. about the story and her and I want to talk about your own yeah. health issue that you write about and just so much more.
1: Right. Yeah, I know. There's so much to talk about. But yeah, no, actually, like when I thought about writing the book, it really was an opportunity to give my mom well, she always had a voice, but to share that voice with others, like people who didn't know her or didn't have the the fortune to interact with her. And, you know, she just had such a different upbringing than I did. She had a really challenging upbringing. Single mom, born on public assistance, and, you know, they moved a lot, changed schools. It was really rough. But, like, despite all of that, you know, she she was the first person in her family to go to college. She went to Brooklyn College and then had a chemistry professor who saw, like, all the potential in her and was like, you need to apply to medical school. So she applied to medical school and got into all her med schools and ended up in Harvard Medical School and like you know she obviously felt like a fish out of water there because there were you know kids who's there was one kid whose uh, parent had won the nobel prize for immunology oh a- another relative of jackie onassis but you know but she found her friends there and she made it through but what was really i think most important is like she came back to the same community she grew up in to practice so she took care of her friends and neighbors and i think she was super like super purpose driven like the wor- the work was more than just work it was really you know, how do I show care or how do I work in service to my community? And so she made such a tremendous impact on my sister and me as a result.
0: Well, you talked about how there's almost like a new name for the type of medicine she practiced because she took into consideration really the whole person and all of the environmental factors and everything about them, not just like the one tiny complaint of the skin knee or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I feel like so much of like what we learn in medical school, it's about like you know, the patient physician relationship and just what happens between the two of us, as opposed to like, when you're in, you know, the exam room or clinic room with your patient, you really are in the room with like all their family, their friends, their employer. Like, I mean, it literally, because all of that we know now, like now we know like it impacts how healthy people are. And so I feel like my mom really got to know her patients on a very, very intimate level so that she could provide, the best care possible to them. And yeah, it's a now that has like, it's called culturally responsive care and structurally competent care. But I feel like my mom was practicing that in the 80s and 90s before there were like these sexy terms for
0: it. Oh, and you, uh, you paint... Such a picture of you and your sister, like doing your homework there at the desks, and like, of course, then the two of you go on to Harvard Medical School yourselves, and both become doctors in different neighborhoods, which is amazing. I mean, it's, I mean, it's really like I have well, to tw- I, I end. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I know
1: what's going to happen with them. Like, <laughs> well, I always joke that like we were my mother's little projects. Like, I, I mean, she put. I think it's you know, I think it's because of her upbringing. You know, I think because she grew up in poverty, like she wanted to give us so much. And so expose us to everything. Like everything was a learning experience, like going to the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, like looking at the different flowers, going to museums, introducing us to artists when we were, you know, artists that most people don't know about until they're adults. But when we Mm -hmm. were young, you know, taking us traveling. And so I feel like we were her little projects. And even on Saturdays, we literally, Saturday mornings would be full of activities, gymnastics, modern dance you know, reading comprehension, because like, she really had this drive, like, I want my kids, I want these girls to have a totally different life than I had. And not to say, and, and actually, when we went off to college at 18, she's like, you know what, I'm really tired. She said, and she said, this even before she got diagnosed, and maybe that is part of, you know, the leukemia, that's why she was tired. But she said, I'm just tired. I'm really tired. <laughs> I put so much, I put so much into you girls, but we didn't do too shabby. But, you know, but, it, but actually, you know, the conversations I had with her when she was sick, she told me, you know, I want you to I asked her, like, what are things I should know, you know, when I knew that she wasn't going to, you know, going to live much longer. And she's like, I, I want you even when you have your kids, I want you to still take care of yourself. And that has always stayed with me.
0: I was so struck by that scene in the book, too. And I'm like, wow, that is the parting advice, you know I mean? like from a 47 year old mom. And I'm 47 now. And I was like, and it, cause at first, sometimes I read it, I'm like, oh, 47. Well, that was old. And then I'm like, yeah. but wait, I'm 47. <laughs> like, that's not old at all. It's so young. And I'm so, so young. sorry. I'm so sorry that you lost her and just sounded terrible. And the way it had, you know, how quick, and the, just the whole thing. I'm so sorry. I mean, obviously, there's no, thank you, no good way, but
1: um, yeah,
0: yeah, that she was, that that was, the parting advice, like I'm not sure, like what my parting advice would be to my kids. I'm, it, I don't think it would be that, but maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. Maybe I'm gonna learn from you. So,
1: yeah, you know, no, I think I think it was that, like she kind of, I think she maybe had some time just to look back and yeah. was like, you know, maybe I should have, like, cause she was so present for us, so present for her patients, so present for everyone in her life that it's like okay to like keep a little bit for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what she was trying to tell us, and you know. Interesting. Like, like we were only 19 and at the time I didn't feel like a little girl because I, I was like a, a young you know I guess a young woman but in retrospect now at 46, yep. at 46 I look back and I'm like we were just babies like we literally were just babies and I even thought like once I had my own kids that I would stop like the pain of losing her would lessen but actually no it got even more because I said wow my kids could have had this whole other you know grandparent here who would love on them and be sweet to them and also help support me as a parent, <laughs> you know, just like, I, cause you always need, you always need mothering. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Like it doesn't matter how old you are. Like you always need mothering. You need someone who is going to like see for who you are who you can be vulnerable with, you know, and, and who like literally is looking out for you and only you.
0: It's true. I mean, what you say is, is just so, poignant because it is the people that you lose. You lose the love they had for you that's in the world. Where does that go? Like, how do you get that feeling? When I lost my grandmother, I was like, she had that unique love for, you know, just that special thing. And like, where did all those rays of <laughs> yeah. Know, like, you know, like, yeah. where do they go? Like, where do they, anyway. Exactly. It sounds silly. No, no, no. So you also wrote in detail about a time when you were misdiagnosed, which sounded horrific, and your appendix ended up getting, infect, you know, and getting infected, you know, bursting, getting infected, you're misdiagnosed. You know, the, the thesis of the book is that there is a lot of racism in, med- in medicine, and how do we reduce that and all of that, and, you know, part of every story told takes that view but also like how could they how could it not have been missed and was it that was it not that anyway so looking back on the whole thing like what do you make of it now
1: yeah I I think at the time I didn't really like I I didn't really understand what was going on I just knew that like it was really frustrating that no one kind of knew what was going on and I was feeling sicker and sicker and that like also I was being questioned about things like multiple times like my pain was being doubted. It like, I was not in that much pain. And then, yeah. And then, then I kind of was just like, okay. And then my twin sister thought, she's like, I think you have appendicitis. And, you know, she was in med school with me, but we didn't feel like comfortable enough to like tell the doctors that, you know, something, I mean, even as medical students, we didn't feel comfortable. So, you know, it really was like looking back after the fact that I was like, could it have been, because I was a young black woman could not have been but like we know there's a lot of data out there that shows like for women for black people often in healthcare settings People are not, you know, you're not listened to as much or your pain is minimized. Like there's a lot of gaslighting that happens. And so it kind of just made me later on as a practicing physician reflect on that experience. But actually at the time, what it did for me was it just made me more understanding of my patients. And one thing is like listening, like listening, listening, listening to my patients because I wish those doctors had listened to me.
0: And when you talked about your experience in the pandemic and you had that one scene where you're wearing all the PPE and everything, and you had a young black girl as your patient. And she said to you like, can I ask you something? Like, are you black? And you're like, yes, I am. And she was like, and you could see her like relax. Right. Yes. And tell me about that moment. And just like the fact that there are so few black doctors in the world, like percentage wise, and you give all the statistics and everything. It's really insane. It's really great. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: mean, like in that moment, like, I was glad that I could be the doctor she needed, but at the same time, it made me feel sad because it made me realize that, like, she had had these experiences before where mm-hmm. she didn't feel listened to. And so, like, the fact that she'd be like, oh, well, thank God, you mm-hmm. know? And so, like, ideally, we want we want to have, like, health professionals and physicians that could take care of everybody, like, and, and give everyone the best care possible, right? And we want everyone to feel, all patients that feel seen, heard, and appreciated when they go to see a doctor, right? So one thing I talk about in the book is this this report called the Flexner Report that Mm -hmm. came out um, in 1910 that was commissioned by the American Medical Association and Carnegie Foundation. And that actually led to the closure of five out of seven of the historically Black medical schools. And there was a a study that came out in 2020 that showed those schools would have trained between 25,000 and 35,000 Black physicians. So I think for me, a lot of the book is like using my story, my mother's story, bringing in history to like help kind of explain like how we got to where we are today in 2024, where we have like such a small percentage of black physicians, where we have these racial health inequities that they didn't just come out of nowhere. Like there are, you know, policy decisions and practices that actually have created this environment we're in now. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast.
0: So what, what now, what are our next steps? You say yes. people finish reading the book. They're totally inspired for so many reasons. <laughs> they're your cheerleader yes. from now on. What now, what can we do?
1: Yeah. So like, you know, in the last chapter, I have a call to action because I knew that people would be like, okay, so what now yep. just like the different groups. I think like for like, physicians like in medical schools, like really to think about how we're t- how we're teaching our students to care for patients and really to listen to them, you know, very very well. To think about what's in the curriculum, and then also recognizing that you know, being a great doctor is like continuing medical education. Like you're you're always going to be learning something. New. That's what I actually love about being a doctor, but also addressing some of these issues as people go on in their career. And I think also the other thing is holding hospitals accountable, like making sure that they're tracking metrics to make sure that every patient is getting the best care possible. If they see any discrepancy in, for example, who's being prescribed pain medications, who's not, that they are keeping track of that and that they can intervene as needed. But another thing I talk about is sometimes the problem seems so big that there's a lot of things happening on a hyper-local and local level. So I talk about there's a birthing center in Minneapolis called the Roots Birthing Center that's owned by a Black midwife. And she created the birthing center specifically to care for black birthing people, just to make sure that we're honoring their dignity and respect. And they've actually shown that they've had great health outcomes. And so there are things that we can invest in that we can like, you know, maybe volunteer there or donate there or see what's happening in our own communities where we can help to advance health equity.
0: I love that. So Your mom made you do all these activities as kids. What in all of that do you still do? Or do you, are you glad that you possess the skills for?
1: You know what? I have to think that all of those classes, like, you know, all of those practices made, so somehow created the person I am today where like I'm super, super purpose-driven, like very passionate. I don't play the violin anymore. I definitely don't do gymnastics, but I think all of that was like, you know, kind of my mother's love showing up in different ways. And so I always say like when people meet me, they meet her. Mm. Even even though she's not she's no longer physically here, but like this like my sister and I are like the manifestation of like the kind of mother she was, the love that she gave us, the experiences that she gave us.
0: Well, I am so sorry that you don't have her. It's totally not fair and I'm sure she would be so proud of you. Tell me about deciding to write this book and how long that took and what that was like. And-
1: I know. So it's interesting because people so I had this whole experience like where when I was I was in academic medicine, I you know, I wasn't happy there, just I felt very silenced and muzzled. So I left to start my company and I was working part-time in urgent care. Then the pandemic happened in 2020, and I all of a sudden got this like increased platform. And my agent heard me on a local radio show and and she's like i've been seeing your tweets i've been hearing about you like as a help communicator and she's like you know i read about you i read about your mom i read about the advocacy you do and i think you should write a book and and i feel like there's a book out there and 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 you're the only person to write this book and she had so much she, i know it was like so amazing and so we worked on the proposal together but really i thought it would be a great opportunity again, to share my mother's story, to share my experiences, but to use that storytelling as a way of talking about this really difficult topic, to sharing sharing some of the history, social commentary. And so I, I worked for a year and a half on the book. I would say like, it was, you know, it's exhausting. It's like emo- and, because, and because it's a memoir, you know, part memoir, part advocacy history, it, it was like, you know, emotionally, psychologically draining. I have to admit, like, right before it came out, I was like, Oh my feeling incredibly vulnerable also mm-hmm. because I'm sharing my family's story. And I actually had my twin sister, like she read all through it and gave me feedback and everything. I wanted to make sure that she also was pleased or satisfied with how we were presenting our family. But I feel like it's such an honor to be an author. Like I feel like this is my gift to the world, like sharing about my experiences, my mom's, sharing this history, sharing how people can make a difference, all in one book.
0: Amazing. Wow, a year and a half is not bad, by the way, to write a whole memoir. That's oh yeah! Bad. Oh yeah! I mean, sometimes it's like seven years, eight years, thirteen years. You never know. Well, you
1: know. Well, you know. Like you know, I'm I'm a mom. I'm, I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm a business owner. So I don't. So I feel like I'm, I'm really efficient. I'm super efficient. Like if you give me a task to do, I'm yes. going to do it.
0: <laughs> if I have next time, I have something to do, I'm calling you. You know,
1: I'm sure you're the same. I'm sure you're the same.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I I am pretty efficient. I have to say, but um, yeah, like the, yeah. it's like how do you get it? You just do it. You don't even have a choice. You just throw it in the mix and it gets done. It's like right. we're it's, like Cuisinarts, you know? Like you just keep exactly. putting stuff in. And it's gonna
1: work just as fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but what I was gonna share is that like I really enjoyed recording the audiobook. Ooh. I didn't think I was going. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. But it was really really wonderful. I almost would t- tell people like, listen to the audiobook over reading the book, just because it's, you know, it's me talking about my experiences and it made me fall in love with the book again.
0: Oh, that's so nice. Are you doing a big marketing outreach at hospitals and hospital gift shops and all of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like with a lot of large hospital mm-hmm. health organizations, but, but actually, I you mean, know, I wrote the book for a broad audience. Like no, I, I, I feel that. like Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I still, yeah, definitely we're doing the health focus, but in hospital focus, but I would love for even people, you know, anyone to read the book um, because I think there's something in it for everyone. I, I
0: just meant from a marketing perspective, of course, this is, this is a book for everybody. I was just thinking like, you know, to, to reach some of the other doctors and hospital, you know, administrators and just everybody should be aware of some of the, some of the things in there that they might not have known, and
1: yeah, they, know. well, I'm getting I'm getting a lot of requests definitely to come and speak about the book to yep. health related organizations, and I'm really happy about that. That's great. So, what is still on your wish list of life? My 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 bucket
0: list. Yeah, like your yeah your bucket list, your wish list of life, or the things you want to achieve. Like you wrote the book, you did this, you did that. Now, what else is out? Yeah.
1: There? Oh well, I would love to get to the point where. I could have a philanthropy, or and, and actually help support some of these small community-based organizations that are doing such beautiful, wonderful work, but kind of like are unknown and unseen. Mm-hmm. So I would love—I know—I I would love to get to a point where I can actually help them thrive. That would be amazing.
0: Wow! And it's a—it's a good message for the world, even in the wish list. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Would you ever write another book?
1: Oh yeah, I definitely want to. I'm not sure what it would be. I was thinking maybe a children's book with my sister. Mm. Thinking Like, you know, like for, you know, two twins that have a mom who's a doctor. Um, So like a children's book and then, you know, our is a big inspiration to us. So that's something. And then I'll see what happens, you know, after, you know, the book is this book, legacy is out for a while and see what kind of feedback there is and see if there's room for another book. But right now I'm just enjoying having it out.
0: As you should. As you yeah. should. <laughs> well, congratulations and thank you for sharing your story and your experiences. And there's really no better way to inspire change than to share from the most person to person, deep, you know, deeply yeah. personal, experiential. Like it's one thing to get facts and figures, but it's another to be like, listen, here's what happened to me. And let me tell you this. And let me tell you that has yeah. a lot of impact. So anyway, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: All right, good luck.
1: <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.